Have fun in the Stone Age while I step into the third dimension. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, are we living in a simulation? I set the time zone. I set the time zone. And my phone does that automatically. I'm going to see if I can make the font bigger. <gasps> How would we tell the real world from a simulated world? Maybe there would be telltale signs, like those glitches in the Matrix when things repeat themselves. And maybe there would be telltale signs, like those glitches in the Matrix when things repeat themselves. What did you just say? Nothing, just had a little deja vu. If we could never know either way, what difference would it make? Just because something is digital doesn't mean it's not real. Our guest is David Chalmers, author of Reality Plus, Virtual Worlds and the Problems of Philosophy. Of course we want to know Reality Plus, all of reality. These cabinets would never be this easy to climb in real life, but this is the future of scrolling! Are we living in a simulation? My world is officially boundless! Coming up on Philosophy Talk. If we were all living in a simulation, how would we know? Wouldn't there be telltale signs? If we did learn that nothing is real, would that make our lives meaningless? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you via the studios of KLW San Francisco Bay Area. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy, and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today we're asking, are we living in a simulation? Yeah, that's a great question, Ray. Maybe we're all in the matrix. We're all, like, hooked up to a bunch of machines and being fed a computer-generated illusion. Yeah, yeah, or maybe we're in a version of The Truman Show, where the objects you see are real, but the people are all just actors pretending to be your friends. The thing is, though, I just don't see how we could know for sure either way. I mean, what's to say you're not a figment of my imagination, cunningly crafted by our robot overlords? Hey, I don't feel like a figment of your imagination. Wait, maybe you're a figment of mine. Well, well I know I'm real. I mean, it's like Descartes said, even when you doubt everything else, your very doubt shows you exist. Cogito ergo sum and all that. Well, yeah, but Descartes also says that everything is real. He starts out in radical doubt, but at the end of the day, he thinks we can have genuine knowledge based on our senses and our reason. I think he was right the first time. His argument for skepticism is way more strong and convincing than his argument for certainty. He had that great thought experiment of the evil demon who keeps us in a kind of simulation. Uh, come on, Josh. Evil demons aren't real. We all know that. Do we, though? Just indulge me for a minute, Ray. I imagine there's an evil demon, and he's created the illusion of all the trees and houses and dogs and cats that you see. Uh, how would the world look any different? Uh, okay, sure, I wouldn't know the difference if there was an evil demon, but that's not what matters. I wouldn't know the difference if I was dead, either. But right now, I still know I'm not dead. So why can't I be sure that I'm not in a simulation? Well, think about a world 200 years from now. We'll have computers of unimaginable power. We'll have AI and VR up the wazoo. We'll hopefully have solved our energy problems and have virtually unlimited processing power. A ton of people are going to be using their copious spare time to run fancy simulations. Ah, uh, sure. Maybe they'll make Martian palaces or relive Pride and Prejudice. That all sounds like great fun. What's your point? Well, they're probably also going to simulate philosophy talk from the year 2023. And that's what makes it so likely that you and I are actually Sims. We're the real Josh and Ray. All those Sims would just be knockoffs, not the real thing. That's exactly what a Sim would say. 
Think about it, Ray. Those future programmers won't just make one simulation of 2023. They'll make thousands. So the chances that you and I, the original Ray and Josh, they're vanishingly small. Sorry to burst your bubble. Ah, uh, now you're being an evil demon. <laughs> I can't help believing that I'm real. And even if your argument works, I I'm not going to believe its conclusion. Besides, who would want to make thousands of simulations of you? Okay, that's a fair point. But maybe our guest will help you see that we're probably in a simulation after all. It's David Chalmers, professor of philosophy at NYU. Are you sure it's not just one of a million simulations of him? You know what? I'm not. You've been watching too many movies. And to be fair, there are some great ones out there. So we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to find out how simulated worlds have been depicted in popular fiction. She files this report. When we think of simulated realities, things like Tron, Star Trek, and The Matrix come to mind. What's happening? But the groundwork in TV and film was set long before. My head goes right through it. Take Through the Looking Glass, a novel published by Lewis Carroll in 1871. The main character, Alice, steps through a mirror, entering an alternative reality. The Red Queen tells Alice she can be a white pawn, but she wants to be a queen. You know what it takes to be a queen? Tom told me. I have to go all the way from square one to square eight, with your permission. Along the way, Alice meets Humpty Dumpty. It can't be anybody else. And how exactly like an egg he is. It is very provoking to be called an egg. Very. Through the Looking Glass doesn't have the kind of high tech we associate with simulated consciousness in science fiction. But Lisa Yazik, who teaches science fiction studies at Georgia Tech, says the novel is like an early experiment of the genre. The story is bound by the rules of a game. And that's one of the other amazing things that we can do with stories about simulated realities. They're like a funhouse mirror to our own present. They show us the same things, but in a sort of slanted way. The late 1800s saw a mini-boom in simulated reality stories. More people consumed information through mass-mediated forms. New technologies kept shaping fiction. Then, in the 1980s, the genre exploded. This is the moment as the advent of video games and home computing and a lot of our other technologies, like music technologies, are miniaturizing and we can take them places with us, right? You can put on your Walkman headphones and have this little virtual musical world. It's a Sony. The father of cyberpunk, William Gibson, published his novel Neuromancer in 1984. Not only did he provide us with some of the first really exciting adventures in cyberspace, but he actually coined the term cyberspace. So he really gave us the language that we use today to talk about modern simulated realities. Cyberspace, a consensual hallucination experienced daily by billions of legitimate operators in every nation by children being taught mathematical concepts. Gibson imagined cyberspace as a totally amoral place. It's where criminals, corporations, and petty uh, thieves will hang out in the future. A graphic representation of data abstracted from banks of every computer in the human system. Unthinkable complexity. Lines of light ranged in the non-space of the mind, clusters and constellations of data. And now here we are. As artificial intelligence and virtual reality surround us, Lisa Yazik expects fiction to take a nuanced approach, where technology does not need to symbolize death or the transcendence of humanity, it's just there. If you are interested in dropping into dystopias, try the TV series Black Mirror. 
the magnifying glass through which we observe the human condition, where happiness is an illusion. Here, where the past, present, and future all co- coexist on the same timeline. Just ask Alice. It all goes back to that looking glass. Let's see, Dinah. If I had a world of my own, everything would be nonsense. Nothing would be what it is, because everything would be what it isn't. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Go ask Alice when she's ten feet tall. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.